0: Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom.
1: Welcome to our Tuesday night Torah class. Um, I'm glad you all are here. I'm glad all the people that have tuned in on YouTube are here as well. Let me begin by opening in prayer. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for the, uh, this group of people that found time in their lives to come out and look at your word. And I'd ask that you bless our conversation tonight. I know you have things for us to learn, um, and I just, just ask that you'd smile on us and help us to gain some new insight into you and into how you'd like us to behave and to how much you love us, and uh, just thank you for your blessing. In Yahushua's name, amen. I wanted to start by saying that last week, I got a, we got a, an email from... A uh, from Chet in South Dakota. And he says, uh, that I'll read it, what he said, and then we'll talk about it. He says, At the 13-minute mark in the discussion about carrying Joseph's bones out of Egypt, someone implied that Moses could have heard that. I don't think so, because Joseph only lived to be 110. The Israelites were in bondage 400 years before Moses appears on the scene, so everyone from Joseph's time would have been long dead. Even the new Pharaoh didn't know about Joseph. What am I missing here? Or am I hearing wrong? I thought that was a great, a great question. Sent me off on about a two-hour messing around, and I enjoyed it a great deal, so I thought I'd tell you what I found out. First of all, John, I, was it you that said that, John? Yeah, and all your point was, if I remember right, was that uh, these people tended to live well over 100 years, and it wouldn't be unusual that... Moses could have been born before, um, if not Joseph, some of, one of Joseph's, I mean, Levi, for example. As a matter of fact, let me show you what I did, if I can do this. I made this whole chart. Um, Could Moses have known his great-grandfather, Levi, or his uncle, Joseph? Joseph. So I really cheated a little bit here because there's a guy on the internet that's got most of this stuff on one little website. And you can go read about it. But the, uh, the thing on the bottom, which you can pretty much barely read, um, his question, the question he was trying to answer is how, you know, it, uh, when God was giving Abraham his promise, promise, he says, your offspring will live 400 years in a country or a land not their own, and then they will come back. And and I will give them this land. Um, it's hard to get the 400 years um, from the day they went into Egypt until the day they came out of Egypt. And so his argument is that the 400 years is really was meant from um, the what he calls time zero here was the birth of Ishmael. He says Ishmael was Abraham's first offspring, and he he believes he's shown a uh, uh, that there's 400 years between when Ishmael was born and when, they, when the Israelites crossed the Jordan River after Moses has died. But that was good enough for me because he had a lot of really good information there and I could go on and, and kind of figure out what went on. And so I was able to, you could figure most of this stuff out. And the guy's article really uh, backed it up very, very well. Um, so you can easily find out, for example, that Jacob lived 148 years. And it says in the Torah portion just a couple of weeks ago that Levi lived 137 years, Kohath lived 133 years, and Amram lived 137 years. And then we'll know by the time we get to the end of Deuteronomy that Moses lives 120 years. So that's not all that hard. Um, the trick is, is figuring out when they, had their, when they were born. And that's a little tougher. But again, uh, the guy that wrote the article, his name is Jeff Binner by the way, B-E-N-N-E-R. There are certain things that you can tie down pretty hard, pretty tightly. Like, um, we know the birth of Jacob. We can figure that out pretty easily. Um, We know how old Jacob was when he had Joseph. Jacob was 91 when he had Joseph. And the way you figure that is... Um, let me see here. Joseph was 30. Oh, that's not. Okay, let me back up. I'm getting ahead of myself here. I don't know if I want to go into the great detail, but you can go read the article and you can figure it out. Don't laugh at me, it's not funny. <laughs> well, okay. The, the
2: ancient Hebrew, ancient Hebrew guy, right? Jeff Benner? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. So maybe Joseph died a little younger than the, than the young ones, but Levi was born was alive, still alive when yep. Moses was
1: born. Yep. Yep. That's my, this, this line here, for example, is when Israel, the dotted line is when Israel entered Egypt. And uh, over here is when Israel enters the land of, of Israel. No,
2: but Chet brought up the question. He couldn't figure out how is it possible that Moses could have been alive when he heard about Joseph's bones? Yeah, you know that he told people to deal with his bones when he died.
1: Yeah,
2: well, I darn mean, darn close. darn close. And yeah. And yeah, His his uncle or his great grandfather or maybe it's great great grandfather Levi was alive.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's very likely that Moses said, well. I don't know; it's very likely, but it's certainly possible that Moses, as a young boy, met his great-great-grandfather Levi.
2: What I like about this is when when we come to Exodus twenty-six, and it talks about the sin of the will will be upon the children for those who hate me upon the third and the fourth generation. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know because that's Moses has got that funny tree uh, family tree where he skips. A generation. It's, yes. it's three there if you start from Levi, yep. yep. One, but two, he's...
1: Levi, Kohath, Amram, and I guess Moses. he
2: would be the fourth one then. Yeah. But if you go another way, it may be one less or more, one more. I can't remember. Well, but that,
1: that's because of his mother. Right. Yeah. His mother was his aunt or something. <laughs> Not, but anyway, I, what I wanted to say was all the stuff that, that leads to this graph is Scripture. I mean, it's all scriptural with two exceptions. And those two exceptions were uh, when was the birth of Amram and when was the birth of Moses. And you don't really have those, but the guy makes the assumption that an average generation was about 40 years. So typically they had their kids when they're about 40. So that makes that a little bit off. But the point is, is it's not like way off. You know, there's, uh, I don't know, it's just good to think about. John. So
2: people, people, I think get confused because it sounds like they were in Egypt for 400 years, and that's yes. just not true. They yeah. were only in there maybe half that time, a little yes. more than half.
1: Yeah, that's exactly the right.
2: 400 starts way back in Genesis 15.
1: Yeah. I thought it was very interesting. It's, it's fun to be able to do this sometimes. And, you know, a lot of times God's really interesting the way he does stuff. I mean, the first time I remember reading through some of this stuff were, so-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so. And then he lives 13 years, and then he had one son, and, he, and then he, you know, he died, and all that stuff. All that there, it's there for a reason, and it allows you to do this. It allows you to sit there and map this out and see where these people lived or, or how long they lived and who was doing what to whom. Anyway, I just wanted that uh, Chet would get the benefit of our discussion. So there, thank you very much. Now then, back to the task at hand tonight. Let's see, last week we, uh, we had just more or less finished uh, crossing the Dead Sea, I'm sorry, the Red Sea, crossing the Red Sea, and they'd, the, the uh, Israelites had already begun complaining uh, because, you know, did you bring us out here to starve us to death, or did you bring us out here? So we're going to hear that over and over again. Um, but we started in chapter 16, so I'd like to start tonight, chapter 16. And I read part of it, and we didn't do much because it was time to go home. So I thought I would reread what I read so that we could get, get going again, if you will. So I'm going to read just a little bit in chapter 16, and then I'll get you guys to read. So Exodus chapter 16, starting in the first verse. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of sin which is between Elam and Sinai. Oh, I want to do something different here. I got this picture off the newspaper, it turns out. This is um, a satellite photograph of, uh, satellite picture, whatever you want to call it, of the area that we're talking about. And there's a couple of things interesting. Let's see here. One is, let me see if I can get that. Oh yeah, yeah. One is, it's really interesting that you can see where stuff grows in Egypt. <laughs> I mean, it's this big green line with this huge green delta down here. So the stuff grows in Egypt along the Nile River, obviously. And then Goshen would have been over in here. And so the, 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 the thinking that uh, we've kind of come across is that they left from Goshen and they came over here and they crossed the Red Sea either right about here or down a little farther south. Right about here's my best guess. But this red marker there was on the newspaper that I got the picture from. And that was determined, that was said, that's the, the mountain that uh, Moses received the Ten Commandments on. And it's in northwest Saudi Arabia. So it's the one that we've been talking about. And it said that uh, Saudi Arabia has plans to Knock down that mountain and do all kinds of stuff all around there because they're going to build this big, huge mega city to you know try to compete with uh, the stuff in the or it the United Arab Emirates and some of those things, Dubai, some of those, yeah. And the city's got a name. The name is Neom, N-E-O-M. So if you want to go look about Neom, you can go do that. But anyway, I wanted you to see that picture because I thought it's kind of good. It doesn't have much of anything to do with anything, but I just thought it was interesting. Ron Wyatt was one. Yeah, he was the first one that said, "Yeah, yeah." But uh, Ron Wyatt thinks that they crossed down here, or at least the book he wrote says that. And Penny thinks they crossed a little up here. Both of them have the same mountain as the mountain in question. So I could go either way. I don't feel. I mean, it's not. Like, it's not like I know anything anyway.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Penny found the two markers, I believe, on either side of where the crossing was, yep. like memorial markers. That, yep. um,
1: they also found what they thought was the rock that we're going to read about in a few minutes if I'll quit blabbing.
0: Yeah, on the other
1: side of it, yeah, where the altar was. Well, there's that, but the rock that split. Oh, yeah. yeah. You're right. So we'll read on. Meanwhile, sorry for, sorry for the digression there. Let's go back to chapter 16. I'll start again. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by Yahweh's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then Yahweh said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to gather what they bring in, uh, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening, you will know that it was Yahweh who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of Yahweh, because He has heard your grumbling against Him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? So Moses also said, You will know that it was Yahweh when He gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because He has heard your grumbling against Him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us. You're grumbling against Yahweh. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before Yahweh, for He has heard your grumbling. And while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of Yahweh appearing in a cloud. Okay, so a couple things. When did this happen? It says back at the beginning there, um, the first verse, on the 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt. So they'd been on the road for a month, essentially, is when this happened, right? And then whenever they started getting hungry, who did they complain to? Moses. Moses, and when, he, when that paragraph he says, uh, um, down in verse 7, the end of verse 7, he says, to the people, this is Moses saying, or maybe it's both Moses and Aaron, who are we that you should grumble against us? In other words, don't gripe at us, and uh, it's not us you're griping at it's God, basically is what they're saying and several times it has been brought up that uh, you know these these people were slaves they were used to be told, you know, sit over there and do this and go over there and eat your lunch and go over there and do this and they didn't they weren't used to having the ability to kind of think for themselves and, and make decisions and so I suppose this really does, it does two things. It gives you the idea that this is where they started out and they had a long ways to go. Not necessarily physically, although they had that too, but emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, however else you want to look at. They had a long ways to go. So let me see what else I want to say about that. Anyway, you'll notice that God wasn't particularly upset with them this time. Yeah. John.
2: Well, I I think it's like the same thing with not wanting water after the three days. To me, that's a reasonable thing to mm-hmm. ask for.
1: Yeah. You know. But how you ask for it, I think, is probably a- attitude gonna... is
2: obviously important. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Before you move on past these verses, I have some Olapov. Go comments. for it. Go for you, it. You want me to do them now? Sure. Why not? Well, there's actually three. Uh, there's one here on verse 4, uh, verse 5. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare the standalone alone altar which they bring in, and they shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And then also in verse 9, And Moses spoke unto Aaron, Say unto the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before Yehovah, for he ye hath heard of... All up top of your mermaids. Now that's an interesting one. But the 23 is the one, that when we get to 23, is okay. where I really want to comment because it's tied to the Sabbath.
1: Okay, well that's what I was going to say. We can talk about the, the, the characteristics of manna now, but it's a little early. So why don't we read the rest of the chapter and we'll talk about it after that. Would somebody like to read from verse... Well, let's see. Is there any comment about um, verse 10? Verse 10 says, While Aaron was speaking to the whole congregation, Israelite, the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of Yahweh appearing in the cloud. I don't know. I don't expect any specific comment. I just wonder what you thought about that. Did we?
2: Mark, didn't you talk about that? The Son of Man, the Ish, uh, the uh, Bar Ish and Daniel is the the context was the son of man appearing in the cloud wasn't that the context yeah so ah, that's interesting so it that's ties, in verse 10 but verse ties 9 to that, is, huh? this is all about in the previous
1: verse okay I just wanted to bring that verse out and bring it to your attention put it in your head and think about it a bit don't know but i enjoyed the i mean i appreciate the fact that it it definitely ties to the uh, the New yeah. Testament verse that you mentioned
2: was Daniel okay yeah I, I mean, it's kind of like <laughs> out of context it's like yeah, what does that what got to do with the rest of this
1: anyway yeah I, I think this whole thing of the Israelites getting used to God and understanding how he's going to be a part of their lives for the next few years if you will is and what they've got to learn it's just beginning to dawn on them I don't know did you have something Margaret or no
4: Just an opinion. That's uh, good. The murmuring, I think, you know, our power goes out and we murmur. We yep. get all upset. Yep. Anytime there's just a little inconvenience. And these people around the desert in that dry yep. dry desert with nothing, they're hauling around their children. They're hauling around. Everything. Uh, all the all yep. their uh, livestock yep. and stuff. And, and I don't know how you carry all your stuff to make bread and yeah. food and things like that and, and and be on the move every day. Well, and then, well, and, have... then and then be, be going hungry. Well, yeah. I was going to say <laughs> and then not murmur <laughs> right. something. Yeah. And um, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the word I just looked it up uh, is loon. <laughs> it's kind of What's the word? Loon. L It's a lamad yod noon. Okay. For, for murmuring. And, yes. the, and the word it's like, it appears here a bunch of times. Yeah, And it seems like...
1: They did plenty of it.
4: It seems like... <laughs> I'd just like to share something. I think we were reading either this passage or another one. I happened to be in California one year. And we were reading about all this murmuring and murmuring. And all of a sudden, we got one of those aftershocks california where you see the earth rolling and it's like wow you know yahweh's yeah was hearing something yep. <laughs> even in our sabbath reading that we were doing um so it i think i think just the fact that they could see after aaron decided okay we're gonna have to talk to them that if they looked in the distance and and aaron being a representative of yahweh you know it's like okay he's with us yeah he's yep. with us Yep. And, that's, and that's the thing, I think, that a lot of times we forget that he's, he's with us. Yeah, that's a
1: very good point. That's yeah, a very good point. He's, and he's I think, you know, him? he says here in a, in a few minutes, he says, the reason I'm doing this yeah. is so that you'll learn to trust me. You'll, yeah. you'll learn to, to have faith in me. And the, the, every time they say, and they say this over and over again, did God bring us out here in the desert just to watch us die? You know, they, they, but they say that 15 times before we're done with this. And the answer, of course, is, well, of course not.
3: (laughs) There are no graves in Egypt.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) So it seems like 10 is connected back to 7.
1: 10 is connected back to 7. In the
2: morning, then you shall see the glory of Yah. Yes. And then how they see it is in the
1: clouds. Literally is how they see it, right? Right. Yeah, that's good. That's a good point. So, does somebody want to read from verse 11 to the end of the chapter?
3: I'll read if nobody
1: wants to. I don't see lots of hands up, so. Oh, wait, we did have an Alfonso, but we might have him later, I don't know. I don't know whether it's a one-shot deal with him or not. Oh, go ahead. 11 to the the end of the chapter we get a a lot of you (laughs) big dose of Alfonso
5: and Yahweh spoke to Moshe saying I have heard the grumblings of the children of Yisrael speak to them saying between the evenings you are to eat meat and in the morning you are to be satisfied with bread and you shall know that I am Yahweh your Elohim and it came to be that quails came up at evening and covered the camp and in the morning, the dew lay around the camp, and the layer of dew went up. And see, on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance, as fine as frost on the ground. And the children of Israel saw, and they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moshe said to them, It is the bread which Yahweh has given you to eat. This is the word which Yahweh has commanded. Let every man gather it according to one's need, an omer for each being. According to the number of beings, let every man take for those who are in his tent. And the children of Israel did so and gathered some more and some less. And they measured it by omers. And he who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered according to his need. And Moshe said, let no one leave any of it until morning. And they did not listen to Moshe. So some of them left part of it until morning and it bred worms and stank and Moshe was wroth with them and they gathered it every morning each one according to his needs and when the sun became hot it melted and it came to be on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread two omers for each one and all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moshe and he said to them this is what Yahuwah has said tomorrow is a rest a Shabbat Kodesh to Yahuwah that which you bake, bake and that which you cook cook and lay up for yourselves all that is left over to keep it until morning. And they laid it up till morning as Moshe commanded, and it did not stink, and no worm was in it. And Moshe said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to Yahweh. Today you do not find it in the field. Gather it six days, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there is none. And it came to be that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And Yahweh said to Moshe, how long shall you refuse my, to guard my commands and my tarot? See, because Yahweh has given you the Sabbath, therefore he has given you bread for two days on the sixth day. Let each one stay in his place. Do not let anyone go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And the house of Israel called its name manna. And it was like white coriander seed. And the taste of it was like thin cakes made with honey. And Moshe said, this is the word which Yahweh has commanded, fill an omer with it to keep for your generations so that they see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Mitzrayim. And Moshe said to Aaron, take a pot and put an omer of manna in it and put it down before Yahweh to keep for your generations. As Yahweh commanded Moshe, so Aaron put it down before the witness to keep. And the children of Israel ate manna 40 days until they came to an inhabited land They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan, and an omer is one-tenth of an epath.
1: Okay, thank you. There's plenty to talk about in this chapter, or in this passage, I think. Um, First of all, what was the stuff called that would appear in the morning on the desert floor? What does manna mean? What is it? That's what it means. It's manhu. who means what is it? So what is it is what it is. (laughs) I thought that was kind of cute, right? Like who's on third?
0: The crazy thing is uh, in the Septuagint, Mm -hmm. it calls it man, not man. Not man, huh? Man. Yeah, Yeshua said, eat of my flesh. That's interesting. They're eating of man here. That's kind of interesting. Uh But what I wanted to say was in verse um, 26, this is really important for us and for mm-hmm. everyone listening online because at some point, someone's going to come along and say, you know, there's a way to keep the calendar and it's this way here. Every, when you look up at the moon and every seven days, it changes from not seen to half lit to full lit to back half lit to not seen again. And, and every time it does that, that should be our Sabbath. The problem is, is God lays out here a seven-day cycle. He says six days you're going to gather, but on the seventh day you're going to gather, on the sixth day you're going to gather two days amount. Yeah. He doesn't put in here any instructions for a 29th day and a 30th day that kind of uh, we need to add in here. Occasionally. And and, and you're going to do something a little different for those days. It's a seven day cycle. Yep. Well, if you take seven full cycles of seven, four cycles of seven, that's 28 days, but a month has 29 and 30 days in it. Mm -hmm. We got a problem. Yep. And so my point is. It just don't fit.
1: Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. That's, yeah. not, that's not the way he defined it.
0: And so the lunar Sabbatarians will say, well, on the 29th day of the month, we just don't count that day. And on the 30th, we don't count it. It's just two extra days. And so we pick up on the, 30, the 27th or the 28th is the seventh day. We have two days of no count and we'll pick up day one on day one after the two days of blank days but that's not listed here anywhere. Well, the problem
1: with that is that makes it eight or nine days between Sabbaths. Correct. And the, the way the Sabbath is defined is every seven, seven
0: days. days. Matter of fact, when they changed out the bread, it was every, you know, there was no, yeah. once a month, it's gonna be an eight day period here. Yeah. You're gonna, you know, none of that's in there. Yeah. So my point is we just need to pay attention to what is laid out and realize Weeks or weeks and months or months. Yeah, yep.
1: That's good. I'm glad. That, now I know why you're always talking about the fact it doesn't say anything about months. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> okay. So anyway, but this is a, go ahead, Margaret.
4: I think I think that goes to say too, um, not just with the Sabbath, the lunar, the lunar Sabbatarians. Um, but also the year. Mm -hmm. It's a different cycle. Mm -hmm. It's a different cycle, and Yahweh uses a different cycle, but yet those cycles which Yahweh instituted, and I think a lot of the Native people knew about the cycles when they do the Uh, I think it's called Chaco Canyon. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Over in uh, Um, Colorado,
4: Utah, somewhere. Stonehenge, lots of places like that, yeah. Where that, you know, that that plays out, and everything's in alignment according to that. Yeah. And even uh, what we saw on Sunday, the blood moons, and then what we saw during the four blood moons and the eclipse that took place. Yep. Those are Yahweh cycles. Those are, that's right. That's <laughs> Those right. are Yahweh cycles, and you can't, you can't just have some Pope declare this, some, is, this is what it is. <laughs> that's right. Or some... That, well, and, and even better, yeah, yeah, you can't change them. Yeah. 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 Well, you can change them, but it's, it's silly. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah.
1: The, uh, I've always, as a mathematician, it's always bugged me that you don't have exactly 28 days in a month, and you don't have exactly 12 months in a year, but you yes. don't. That's right. And, and I, so, I often think that that happened whenever uh, uh, at the end of the flood. When it, you know, I, I think the flood was a pretty cataclysmic event, needless to say. And God had to kind of mess around with the axis a little bit and for, slow things down. and So things got <laughs> off a little.
0: So to tag on to what Margaret said, so you can't you, – the year cycle has its own way of measuring and counting. Yep. The month cycle has its own, and the week cycle has its own. Yeah. So you can't try to calculate a year with 12 months, and you can't try to calculate a month with... 28 days. four, four weeks. Yeah. It mm-hmm. just doesn't work, and so we have to realize there are different calculations and different measurements. Yeah,
1: and God is clearly free to do whatever he wishes. <laughs> well, uh, and
6: this, of course, depending upon what uh, cosmology you go with, but in the... Uh, on day four, it says the sun is going to rule the day mm-hmm. and the moon is going to rule the night. So mm-hmm. clearly both uh, sun and moon have a purpose, yep. purpose behind it and a way to um, measure that time. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it uh, goes back to that same
1: yeah. Here, uh, here. As a matter of fact, they, and he even says in that same verse that that's what they're there for. They're there to keep track of his calendar. And then we can keep track of the important appointments that he has
0: for... No, notice he doesn't say that the sun is keeping track of all four cycles. No, he hmm. says each one, they keep track of days, yep. months, and years. So he's mentioning three different cycles of time there. It's not saying that one is doing them all. That sun, the moon, and the stars are doing the calculation. Yep. Yep, yep. That's a
1: good point. Boy, I like these little rabbit trails. Anyway, one of the things that we were talking about, though, the whole point of this is that this establishes very completely the Shabbat, right? The Shabbat is every seven days, the seventh day. And tell me about the training program he's got here. I mean, this is a great training program, right? Because they will have a reminder of the Shabbat every seven days, and that'll be the day that there's no manna, right? So you you better get used to of Shabbat, the day before Shabbat, so that you collect enough, otherwise you won't have anything to eat on Shabbat, right? Um, and that's important because the Shabbat has probably been the most obvious outward sign of of his covenant people throughout their whole history. I mean, I'm sure they haven't always been able to observe the Shabbat. I'm sure they haven't always observed it the way he would have liked to have it observed. But the point is, is that's who they were. They were the people that observed the seventh day as a day set apart to him. So, uh, what, other than keeping track of the Shabbat or or reinforcing the Shabbat, what else does this manna thing do? John?
2: Well, the thing that kind of rang to to me is, uh, you know, when Yeshua says, man will not live by bread alone. That's kind of how I... Mm-hmm. Weird connection, but I don't know. No,
1: that's coming, by the way, but that's oh, okay. okay. No, that's fine. Um, we didn't so read it. Your, what is your... Uh, well, I just, what other, what other thing, what other purpose does manna have other than reinforcing Shabbat?
2: Well, there's a double portion on
1: Arab Shabbat. Yeah, that reinforces Shabbat. Right.
2: And um, you, you're not supposed to... It's supposed to be used up for that or Shabbat. You're not supposed to hoard it.
1: Yep. Well, that was the one I was really getting at. And and what it is essentially is this. You can't, right? If you'd like to work and get three or four days worth of manna ahead of time so you can goof off, you can't. It won't work because the extra you gather goes rotten. I think that's really great, especially the fact that it goes rotten on those six days, but not on the seventh one. Um, And so what's the point? What's he trying to teach? trying to teach that you have to depend on him every day. You don't get to depend on him real hard for four or five days and then back off. You know, it's an everyday thing. Mark?
0: One of the other things that the manna served as was a witness and a testimony because it was put next to the ark.
1: Yeah, yep, that's true. That's a good point. That's always been a confusion factor because it says there in verse 34, uh, as Yahweh commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna in front of the testimony that it might be kept. Well, the first two or three times you read through this, well, what's a testimony? Yeah. What you realize is the Torah doesn't always, it's not always like a movie that just lays out everything in sequence. So this is something that we'll read about. <laughs> so where? In Numbers. What yeah. verse? Uh, verse 34.
2: So, that, so there the manna being in the ark is preserved, is kind of the implication. Yeah, but the
1: point is, is at this point in the story, they don't even know what an ark is.
2: Well, they also don't understand, it's 40 years, they talk about 40 years, and they don't understand that either. Oh, they're, no kidding. They're not, which is an interesting <laughs> understanding that this isn't necessarily a, I don't think it is, a blow-by-blow, blow, this is what I wrote down in the journal, Today and that's you know Exodus whatever twenty three forty or thirty four or whatever yeah it's it's a it's a an edited or a it has a journal a a editorial aspect to it yes it's been there's stuff in there that didn't happen necessarily in the chronological order that it happened or was put in there because of events that happened that weren't maybe weren't supposed to happen yep they weren't supposed to be in there forty years they're supposed to be there. Fourteen yeah. months, and then they were going to enter the land.
1: Well, yeah, and then that's that's clear by right. the next verse, where it says the Israelites ate, ate manna for forty, 40 years. years. Right. I mean, if you told them that day you're going to be out here eating manna for forty years, most of them are probably going to lie. <laughs> I, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm going back to Egypt. <laughs> but um, yeah, you're right. Yeah, and that's an important thing to note. So, let's see, is there anything else you think is important in that section on manna and quail? The quail got kind of short shrift. It's just that, like I say, the two things I find noteworthy, or one of the things I find noteworthy, God, at this point in time anyway, didn't get particularly upset with them for griping and murmuring. And he just gave them, you know, he gave them the quail and he instituted the manna and basically the manna is going to be with them for the next 40 years. We even, you know, probably as well as I do, we come to a passage where they talk about, you know, and we're sick of this darn manna, right? Takes guts. That must be a year, 38 or
0: so. I'm going to read to you out of the uh, Septuagint. Mm -hmm. So in verse 33 and and 34, it says, "And, And Moses said to Aaron, Take one golden jar and place it in the gomer full of man, and you will put it away before God for preservation for your generations. As the Lord instructed Moses, Aaron also put it away before the witness for preservation. So, I'm wondering, you know, you were talking about how this, obviously, you know, it, it, looking at it in the English, it makes it seem as though they already have the Ark and everything here with them, which we know that isn't true, but I wonder if, is the Septuagint predates what we have here in the Hebrew and the English? Mm-hmm. So, I'm wondering if the writers may have wrote into it a little bit, so maybe... Yep maybe there was something that was considered a witness that wasn't an ark or mm-hmm. the tablets. Mm-hmm. Maybe this this testimony and witness that it's saying here in the Septuagint, or, or preservation, it says for a preservation and a witness for preservation. I, I, yeah, I'll just, have to look at the Greek on that and see what that means. Yeah, that's good thought. Uh,
1: John, this is where I was going to go I, the reason I said I thought we'd get to these words, we don't, the words you're talking about are Deuteronomy chapter eight verses two and three. Um, let's go there just for the fun of it. Deuteronomy chapter chapter eight, note two and three. Deuteronomy eight two and three says. Remember, this is Moses talking um, to the Israelites. Remember how Yahweh your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of Yahweh.
2: So, therefore, therefore, you can't stockpile bread and ignore God. You, you're, there's a dependency on Him. He's it. your welfare provider, and part of that is bread and water. They were complaining about water before. Now they've got bread. Yep. And that's what you get in prison: is bread and water. When they yep. were there for forty years, they got prison food. <laughs>
1: Well, does that, does that, that phrase, of course, should bring, uh, bring to mind some other situation in Scripture? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth. What? Yeah, the Mount of, the Mount of Transfiguration when... Uh, no, I'm sorry, not the Mount of Transfiguration. Whenever he was tempted, the 40 days he was fasting and tempted by uh, the tempter. That was right after his baptism. Okay, let's see. What else do I want to say about there? I think I'm
2: about done. Yes. So, people want to follow along. It's article number 695 on my website, if -hmm. you're interested. Okay. Uh, So, let's see. Let me just kind of read through it here. It's not very long. Okay. This article is about Hebraically connecting the dots of Shabbat, Alev, Tav, and Yeshua. For a long time I have known the idea behind the olothal but have not fully appreciated it regarding sabbath like in the gospel where it says son of man is lord even of the seventh day of the sab- sabbath day that's Matthew 12:8 Mark 2:28 and Luke 6:5 and then this uh, Exodus 16:23 is this stand on olothal I want to talk about and he said unto he said unto them this is what that which Jehovah hath said tomorrow, stand alone all of Todd, is the rest of the Holy Sabbath. So there it's the Son of Man is even of the Sabbath day. I, there's a clear connection there to me. Yep. And uh, the Hebrew for Holy Sabbath is uh, sh- Shabbaton Shabbat Kodesh. So maybe you, you might hear that. Um, Shabbat. By the way, this is the first time... First time this, the word Shabbat and Shabbaton are used.
1: Okay, what's the difference between Shabbat and Shabbaton?
2: They have different Strong's numbers.
1: Uh-huh. Aha, <laughs> that's, that's a stock answer. Uh, maybe Mark
2: knows. Shabbaton is, uh, I don't know offhand. I'll look it up later. Okay. Unless someone else has a comment on it. Article number 695 on the My Hebrew Bible, if you go to that and go to the articles part, type in the number 695. Um, Okay. Unto Yehovah, and my footnote here is, is it reasonable, Midrash, to connect the standalone altar and the Holy Sabbath, which is unto Yehovah, found in Exodus 16, 23, with the Son of Man, Daniel Olapsha is Lord even of the seventh day. I say it is because of the verses I quoted in the New Testament. Now, if I can just read a little bit in Revelations. Revelations one nine. I John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Yeshua Messiah, was in the Isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Yeshua Messiah. So John the revelator is a, has the testimony of Yeshua as Messiah and keeps the word. This okay. is a key part. Yep. Keeps the word, that is the Torah. And then I'll read two more verses. And then in Revelation 1, 10, I was in the spirit of the Lord's day. Now I guess what is what do you think of when you think of the Lord's Day? I always kind of had it as a negative thing because I always thought that's what the Catholics try to use this to change the yeah i always thought it was like judgment day
1: well it could mean that i always thought it was shabbat okay but it's not
0: it Mm -hmm. so everywhere you you type in lord's day and day of the lord because it's reverse one way it's one way and you reverse it so it's lord's day and day of the lord everywhere you enter it in it brings up the 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 day that he comes and judges the world it's the final day it's when he comes to 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 bring Calamity and, and all kinds okay, of... Okay, so it's just one specific it, day. It, and he's witnessing that day in the spirit, watching the calamity take place. Okay. Yeah, I mean,
2: that was kind of my opinion too. But I can kind of see it, you know, it, it, if it's the day of rest, the last day of the week, like it says in way back in Genesis, no, I know that, but it's also... It's his day for us to, what are we supposed to do on the Sabbath? We're supposed to reflect who he is and what we're doing. And that's Fresh. what I was, that's the connection. But I agree with you. It's generally a judgment day. Like, for example, why did you change the Sabbath from the last day to the first day of the week? Mm-hmm. Might be one good judgment that you might have to call, <laughs> have to be <laughs> answered to. Uh, hold on. And then, and then it says, so I was in the spirit of the, on the Lord's day. This is Revelations 1, 10, and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega. So we know that to be Olive and Ta. Yes. Right? Yes. Going back to the verse we'd read in, in the Torah here. The first and the last, and, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, and you've, okay, and then all that. Yeah. So, Um. anyway, that was the, connection I got from that okay. article.
1: One of the things that you picked up on that I always like to th- talk about is the the fact that John, not so much the Gospel of John, although there's nothing, you know, that's two, but those three epistles and Revelation, it's all over the place about keeping, our, keeping the testimony and keeping the Torah. Yeah, giving the testimony, witnessing, you know, the, a witness to the Messiah, a witness to Yeshua and keeping the Torah. It's all over there. Yes?
0: I find it humorous. I've always uh, told my family that when you look at this day of the Lord and the Lord's Day, everywhere it appears, several times he says, I'm going to gather the nations and assemble them to pour out my wrath upon them. And you hear the people that, that call Sunday the Lord's Day, they say, well, we gather on the Lord's Day. They don't realize what they're saying is <laughs> we're part of the <laughs> gathering for the day of yep, judgment then, uh, when he brings uh, them yeah. all in amongst the people. Yep. So, yep. yeah, it's kind of a crazy scenario to be uh, uh, being a part of. Yeah. yeah. So they'll be gathered on the Lord's Day.
1: Yes. And, and it may not be that Pleasant.
2: Well, just my quick comment is, so who's not keeping the... Te- There's a lot of people who testify that Yeshua is the Messiah. Yeah. But are they keeping the commandments? No.
1: And that that's, that's the, the
2: issue. The antinomians yes. don't, aren't doing what John's telling them that, to do.
1: That's exactly right. That's why I say it's real clear if you just read John at that face value, he tells you. <laughs> you got to do them both. Yep. Let's move on. Chapter 17. Uh, Would someone like to read chapter 17 from the beginning, just the first, oh, what is it? Seven verses. Someone that doesn't want to read much. Okay. Oh. No, if you don't want to read, that's fine. Go ahead.
3: Somebody else want to read?
1: You can do fine. Go for it. Uh, One
3: through?
1: One through seven. Seven.
3: Seventeen. And all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of Sin, according to the mouth of Yahuwah, and camped at Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people strove with Moshe and said, Give us water to drink. And Moshe said to them, Why do you strive with me? Why do you try Yahuwah? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moshe and said, why did you bring us out of Mitzrayim to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And Moshe cried out to Yahweh and said, What am I to do with this people? Get a little, and they shall stone me. And Yahweh said to Moshe, Pass over before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand your rod which you struck the river and go. See, I am standing before you there on the rock in Horeb, And you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people shall drink. And Moshe did so before the eyes of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Masa and Meribah because of the strife of the children of Israel and because they tried Yahuwah, saying, Is Yahuwah in our midst or not?
1: Okay. I thought that's a good enough story to to dissect for a little bit there. Um... So they're busy getting used to manna, right? And they've had, had quail dinner last week or whatever. They're run run, you know, moving on down the road here, and they get to a place called Rephidim, and there's no water. So what do they do? Go ahead, Mark. Did you have
0: something? Well, I want to digress just for one moment. Okay. I just ran across it as you started to read. In Exodus 16:4, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. But in the Hebrew it says, and the people shall go out and gather a day's word, devar, every day.
1: Well, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? That's pretty.
0: So he's equating this manna with the word. Yeah. In the Hebrew. That the Greek calls man. Yeah. That's pretty interesting stuff in light of what John said. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every divar yeah. that comes out of his mouth.
1: Well, that's a, that's a pretty obvious direction of the, the word of God being bread. Yeah. What he's, yeah. That's true. Okay. So back to, back to uh, the place in the desert here. Um, what did the people do when they got thirsty? To whom? Moses, right? They they still don't get this, right? They complained to Moses about it. And uh, and what does Moses say? He says, why are you quarreling with me? Right? He says, why do you put God to the test? What is, you know, it's, he's trying to... What, well, you can kind of see what he's trying to do. He's trying to get them to realize that the fact that they have no water is not something that Moses can magically fix. It's something, you know, it, as, as we've said before, God knows you need water. He knew they needed water, and he was trying to teach them. Uh, I, what, would, what would have been the correct response, do you think? What should they have done rather than go to Moses and quarrel and gripe and make?
6: Well, mm-hmm. uh, similarly, yeah, yeah, a simple words like uh, "God, I'm thirsty. Can mm-hmm. I need some water?"
1: Yeah, oh, that would have been great, or or yeah. even something along the lines of "I know you must know, you know how I'm feeling here. If there's this is what I use a lot is if there's something I need to learn, can we hurry up with it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> teach me what we need to know so. So I can get over this discomfort. Is there some lesson? That I mean, really, anytime you feel like you're being tested, you ought to you ought to say, is there a lesson here? And why is this happening? What? Because you know, like I say, it's not like he doesn't know. He knows they're thirsty. It's not like he's ignored them or forgotten them or anything like that. So the the thing to do is to look at it from his perspective and see what what is it could he could he be trying to tell me here?
2: Well, it's it's ask and receive. It would be good to ask with proper attitude. Absolutely. It's not wrong to ask to expect to receive, especially yeah. when the, he said he was going to do these things. Yeah. We're yeah. in the desert after
1: all. Yeah. Well, and then, of course, like I say, going to Moses all the time, I think that's one of the things that he was really trying to get him to quit doing. <laughs> you know, I, I honestly believe, now this may not have been the case back in these days, but I think it probably was. You know, God expects us to have our own relationship with him.
4: That, that's correct. He expects us to have his own our own relationship, but we always have to go through Yeshua. I'm okay with that. Yep. And so Moses was a, a type of Yeshua. That's fair. And I know um, um, when I was working, we all the word was elevate it, <laughs> elevate the problem to somebody who can do something about it. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. Yep. And um,
1: elevate the problem. And,
4: it seemed like Moses was constantly in prayer with no. Yahweh, and, 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 and he would, met him face-to-face. Face. It says face-to-face, to face to face. so they knew that he, he could get results. Mm-hmm. So, well, That's fair. Yeah. Maybe,
1: maybe I misspoke a little bit. Maybe what, yeah. the, what I should have said was that uh, if, if they didn't feel confident talking directly to God, they could at least approach Moses in the way they should have approached yeah. God. Rather than I mean, griping and murmuring and grumbling. Yeah. Quarreling. Um, I don't know.
4: Well, stiff yeah. necked people, that's how we do things. <laughs> right, right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was good, Margaret. <laughs> um anyway, so what did Moses do? He goes to God and he says, Man, he what am I to do? I'm in verse 4. What am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. Right? So he, he didn't, I don't know. I give him credit. I mean, they translated it not like he was griping at God or anything. He just says, what am I supposed to do? You know? Yeah. So what did, uh, what verse 5, Yahweh answered Moses, walk on ahead of the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile and go and, and I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock and water will come out for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Masa and Meribah because it means quarreling and strife. Um, because quarrel, because they tested Yahweh, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? A um, couple of thoughts here. One of the things that was interesting is this second group of people that you were talking about, Kenneth, this Penny and I forgot the people's names, they found this rock, they said. And it's a pretty distinctive-looking rock because it's a big, you know, monolithic thing, and it's got a big crack down the middle of it. And they believe that, and and below it, beneath this crack, is this big wash, this big what we used to call in New Mexico arroyo, you know, big dry riverbed. And so it's the idea was is that was the rock that he hit, and uh, and split, and that's where the water came out. And the nice thing about that, or the interesting thing about that, is, you know, water for the people. What are we talking about in terms of people here? A couple million plus all their animals and everything. That's not a that's not a trickling little stream. That's probably a pretty good sized gusher. And and, and I don't know. It kind of fits with the. Yeah. You know. Any other thoughts about that?
3: I have a question. Sure. When. Uh... Isn't it later? He struck the rock twice. Do you suppose he was kind of remembering this incident when he he was commanded to strike the rock? Yep. And he did. Yep. But the second time he was not commanded to strike. He was the rock. not
1: only was he not commanded to strike he struck the rock it twice. Yeah, but he hit it twice. Yeah. Now that's a very good catch, and I think if we can if we can remember to come back here when we get to that place we can then begin to understand why there was such a difference between these two events. Because both events had to do with water coming out of the rock, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Here, he just did exactly what he was told to do. And if if, <laughs> if I'd have been in his shoes, I'd have been downright flabbergasted when all this water burst forth, you know? Yeah. But this is at the beginning of the 40 years. <laughs> Any other thoughts? Want to move on? So, does someone want to read from verse eight through the end of the chapter? Oh, I'm sorry, Margaret.
4: Eight to the end. Eight, eight to the
1: end. Okay. Yeah. That's
4: a lot of reading. No, it's not. It's not no, it's not. Um, yeah, and just a comment here on um, Masa. And he called the name of the place Masa. It means testing. Yeah. And Meribah means contention. So that's. Yep, pretty much what things were happening here. Oh testing, yeah, contention, testing,
1: and and the thing that's interesting over is that again. this is a theme, obviously, because you know if we were to count, this is the second or the third time, and I'm sure we'll be up to a dozen before we lose count. <laughs> Go ahead.
4: Right. Um, Seventeen eight. Uh, then came Amalek and fought with Israel in in Rephidim, and Moses said unto Yahshua, Choose us out, men, and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of Elohim in my hand. So Yeshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Yahshua discomforted Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And Yahweh said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and rehearse it in the ears of Yahshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, and Moses built an altar, and called the name of it Yahweh Nisi, for he said, because Yahweh hath sworn on his throne, that Yahweh will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Okay.
1: That's good. So, Mark has something. <laughs> okay.
0: What is the uh, Greek name for
1: Jesus? Yeshua? No, no, Yes
0: so I'm going to read to you verse nine in the Septuagint, okay. uh, the English Septuagint. And Moshe said to Eiasus, "Choose for yourself capable men and go forth." <laughs> so yep. his name is right
1: there, right there. Yep, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's the same name. Yeah, Joshua and Jesus are the same word in Hebrew, exactly, and, and Greek. Yeah.
3: You You think if they transliterated it, they would have transliterated it to Joshua?
1: You'd think. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that. But to give you, I this is kind of one of these little known facts that I always like to point out. You know why the the book of James is named James in the King James Bible? Well, the, the King James Bible ought to be the giveaway, right? It was named after King James because that wasn't his name at all. The, the James that wrote the book's name was Yakov. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. What was his name? Yakov. Oh, Yakov. Yakov, Jacob. Oh, Jacob. Yeah. Um. What I want to know, go ahead, John.
3: Well...
2: So these bad guys mm-hmm. are, are not all dead. They'll be there from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. So we need to be looking at who the Amaleks are.
1: That's a good idea. And that leads into the next thing. Who are, who was Amalek?
2: A descendant of Esau.
1: A descendant of Esau. Esau's. But not but, all Edomites are Amalekites.
2: All Amalekites are Edomites, but yeah. not all Edomites are Amalekites. That's, that's right. a key distinction.
1: No, that's a good point. Um, Amalek was a grandson of Esau. Esau had many sons and grandsons, so that's why what he says is true. If you're an Amalekite, you're definitely a descendant of Esau, but a descendant of Esau is not necessarily an Amalekite. Yep. Is that, I'm telling you what now? <laughs> I'm not I'm not gonna no I'm not saying that.
5: <laughs> yeah that's what that's what they're colonies calling these and these uh aliens or these you know they're calling them Am- amalekites. Really? Yeah they're calling amaleks. So yeah they're calling them that. Are trying to tell me they're descendants?
1: <laughs> no, 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 I'm not trying to tell you that.
3: So were these uh guys giants too or no no no
1: uh, the Amalekites were basically—they had a couple of characters. They were nomads. They were Bedouins, if you will. Their, uh, their, one of the reasons that God hates them is because they would follow along behind the Israelites, and they would take the the weak and the slow and rob them, you know, and steal from them. They 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 weren't real good at you know getting ready for battle and face-to-face confrontations, they would rob people and uh you know, they and and they were um pretty much universally hated. You know, they they weren't they weren't good people.
3: So do you suppose that in the same uh way that we're Israelites by being crafted in mm-hmm. um at a a kind of like a uh drafted in scoundrel
4: or yeah you know, like back yeah. in the
3: old West when they had the banditos and stuff like that, yeah, they just robbed people they just
1: yeah well that certainly that was Just the, generally
3: not good people
1: yeah that I mean that was certainly the the type of the amalekite I don't know you know i I, I don't know how far you could go with stuff like that, but um
3: they seem to I'm be just pretty... saying is it a, it's like a type of person. Yes,
1: it is. Yes. And you can use it for that. Although there are some interesting things about Amalekites. Does anybody know of any other famous Amalekites?
2: I was just going to say there was one that uh, confronted David and said that he saw Saul get killed. I think I'm saying it correctly. Mm-hmm. And then he witnesses, and says, and I'm an Amalekite. And then David kills him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. It's like, in that case, it's okay to kill the messenger. Yep. Because he admitted
1: that he was an Amalekite. Yeah. yeah. Is that what you're, is that the? No, no, that's that's fine though. Uh, and I might be wrong as I sit here and think about some of these things. But in that case, uh,
3: that guy didn't actually kill Saul. He just took credit for it. I think that's what you're referring to, yeah. Yeah.
1: way
3: anyway, you got
1: I'll leave that as, a, as an exercise for the more studious of the bunch. the The guy I'm thinking of was Agag. Agag, Agag was the uh, leader of a group of people that Saul, when King Saul was, uh, uh, you know, King of Israel, and God told Saul, "Go wipe those people out. I want everyone dead and all their animals." killed. Get them completely, obliterate them. And I'm pretty sure they were Amalekites. And Saul left a few, principally the king, Agag. So that was, uh, that, that was, that was one of the things, I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. You can go check me on it. Yep, and that's right. what I was going to say Haman right. was in...
2: They uh, still begin in Esther.
1: Yeah. So I guess my point is, is the Amalekites haven't been completely obliterated yet. And they show their, I mean, you could even, if well, never mind. The Amalekite is a type, you're right, but they remain. I'll just leave it at that. Anyway, so anything interesting about the, the way the Amalekites were defeated by Joshua? Yeah, yeah, Moses sat there or stood there with his arm uplifted and and you get the impression that this battle is going on down below. And when his arm would get tired, the battle would go one way, and they'd raise it back up, and the battle would go another way. And so uh, who helped, who held up his arms when they got tired? His arm.
3: Joshua and
1: her. Nope. Joshua led the battle. Aaron and her. Uh, okay, for, for extra credit, who's her? But go ahead and,
0: Mark, what do you have? I just wanted to add, I don't know, I I was okay. looking some something, so I may have missed it if you talked about it. The Septuagint says that it was the rod that he held up, not just his hands. So I find that very interesting that from the Septuagint's point of view, which is, of course, an older version, it's claiming that they're getting their strength from the rod that he's holding up. Not just his hands alone. Okay. It's the rod in his hands that they're okay. trying to keep up.
1: Okay, that's fine. That's fine. That That's all right. Yeah, good point. So, oh, anybody know who her is? There's Ben's son. Yeah, yeah. Well, it doesn't matter, but it's uh, the, the sages. Ben, her, the sages teach that her was Miriam's husband. Not that it matters one little bit. No, I have the note I wrote here was that Josephus says that Her was yeah was Miriam's husband, which makes it totally non-scriptural. But I just thought I like little obscure things like that. Oh, and I have some some of these uh, you know thought questions. So manna is often considered to be a metaphor for the word of God. So I'd like to see. How many parallels you can draw between the properties of God's word and the properties of manna? Let's do that for a minute. But you can answer your questions. Go ahead.
3: Sweet like honey.
1: That's good. That's good. John, I'm sure will follow suit here. Well, as the
2: Mark says, it explicitly says it.
1: The manna of the okay. bread. Okay. Fine. I'll buy. The davar. The devar.
4: It's there every day. It's there every day? It's there every day. Um, I want to remark on the rod. I think in uh, Jasher, it mentions a rod that was passed down from, was it Noah? One of Noah's descendants? I can't remember exactly what it is, but it mentions the rod. Yeah, the rod went to Joseph and then onto Moses. I didn't know that. Okay. It's it's somewhere uh, that rod is mentioned somewhere in the book of Jasher. Okay. Or maybe it's not in the book of Jasher. It might be in the Jubilees. Okay. Hmm.
1: Any, any other parallels between manna and the word of God? Yeah. Uh,
3: they have seeds.
1: That's interesting. I'm not sure I understand about the seeds of manna, but I can... Well,
3: it says it's, it has seeds, right? The word,
1: when you spread the word. Well, it, the word does. Seed. I was just wondering if manna did. I think so. Corianders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You win. You win. Great, great. That's great. Yep. Yep. You win nothing. Nothing. <laughs> okay, so I have some other ones here. Let's see. Both of them were a gift for God. See, both of them are supernaturally provided. How about, had to be gathered daily? Eh, maybe. That's all I got.
4: Well,
3: I was wondering, uh, You just the thought just popped in my head when you said that, daily. If you gathered manna daily, but on the Sixth day, you gather double. Mm-hmm. Is that like,
1: Era of Shabbat you, before you, Shabbat? You
3: gather doubly on the sixth day, so you have enough on the Shabbat.
1: Yeah, that could be. That could be. I think.
5: Speaking of the manna, I guess it just went right past right past me when I read it. Uh, it tells you that what the manna is. Can I read the two chapters? Yeah. I, okay. So I'm on the 16, uh, verse 15. It said, and the children of Israel saw, and they said to each other, what is it? So there's a question right there. Yep. For they did not know what it was. And Moshe said to them, it is the bread which Yahweh has given you to eat. And then it says, this is the word which Yahweh has commanded. Okay. Let every man gather it according to each one's need. So. It tells you right there, it's just right over my head, you know.
1: Well, that's that's all right. That's exactly the thing that Mark was talking about, about that's an accurate translation of the Septuagint, which most Bibles, he just read the one that you talked about, where it says...
0: So you asked about other instances of this, you know, putting the putting together the Word of God here in some of the texts. I just stumbled across another thing I've never seen before. That's it. That? We're, we're learning all kinds of new stuff That's today.
1: That's the way it is. That's the way it's so supposed So v-
0: verse 13, so I'm going to read it to you in the English. Uh, so it says, so Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. I am going to add a little bit to Joshua's name since we know that Joshua's name is Yehoshua. Yep. And the short version of Yehoshua is Yeshua. Yep. So the actual word for edge is pay or pi, uh, pi. It means mouth. Okay. Now that's interesting because I'm going to read it this way. So Yeshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the mouth of the sword. What does it say comes out of his mouth?
1: The sword. Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
6: Um, getting back to the whole bread thing that just came to me, um, uh, both, uh, both bread and the word could be, uh, also associated with, uh, soaking up oil.
4: Oh,
1: that's good. That's good. Yeah.
6: Soaking up oil.
1: The word. Yeah. And then. The word being spirit, so to speak, in one case, yeah.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, the 16, 16 what uh, Bonzo was talking about, the King James says, this is the thing. What? Well, <laughs> the thing, the thing of it is, no, it, it's, and this always reminds me of Brad Scott. Words mean things. That's the pun. Yes. Thing is, debar. So, the word for debar in Hebrew is, train, is "thing" or
1: "thing." Word. Okay. The words mean. I thing. I see. Oh, okay, I suppose this <laughs> Hebrew is bad enough as it is. I mean, bad enough in that it's it's very dense and it can mean so many things. But when you take it for two thousand years, three thousand years, and mess with it, <laughs> did you read all the way to sixteen? We read through chapter sixty. What are you talking about?
0: I mean, verse 16 of 17. Yes. Okay. So I want to read to you the last verse here, verse mm-hmm. 16 in the Septuagint. It says, you know, well, 15 says, and and Moses built an altar to the Lord and called its name, the Lord is my refuge. Because by a secret hand, the Lord fights against Amalek from generation to generation. Secret and, that's very interesting. Where, now, where's that stuff coming from? The Septuagint, the, the Greek that's predates everything else. So why do you suppose
1: secret is in there? And the, the way that was usually translated is, the Lord is my banner, right? Refuge. Hmm interesting I think we should read a little bit more before we go home so would someone like to start chapter 18 let's see how far down we want to go let's read the first 8 verses of chapter 18
5: and you throw the cohen of midian Moshe's father-in-law Heard of all that Elohim had done for Moshe and for Yisrael, his people, that Yahweh had brought Yisrael out of Mitzrayim, And Yithro, Moshe's father-in-law, took Sephirah, the wife of Moshe, after he had sent her back. And her two sons, of whom the name of one of them was Gershom, for he said, I have been a short sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eleazar, for he said, The Elohim of my father was my help, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Yethro, Moshe's father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moshe in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of Elohim. And he said, he had said to Moshe, I, your father-in-law, Yithro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. And Moshe went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other about their welfare, and they went into the tent and Moshe told his father in law all that Yahweh had done to Pharaoh and to the Mitzrites for Yisrael's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them on the way, and how Yahweh had delivered them.
1: Okay. Let's talk about that for a few minutes. So, you remember, mine says Jethro. Yitro is the Hebrew Yitro. So, tell me about Yitro. You remember? Who was Yitro? Yeah, he was. He was obviously Moses' wife's father. His Beverly wife Hills. was Zipporah. Yeah. Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills, Jethro. Cement pond. cement pond. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, um, how does uh, how does the word describe Jethro? What is what is his? You know, what do they talk to him? What uh, What is he? Uh, a priest of Midian, right? So who was Midian?
3: Was he a son of Abraham?
1: Very good. He was a son of Abraham by Keturah. Keturah, yeah.
2: Yeah. We run into these guys later on. The Midianites? Bad news bears, these guys. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, yes. Yes, that's right. Um so, do you remember after, uh, you know, we had, uh, the, it's funny how the Bible does this, because it tells you the important critical parts, and the other stuff, it just kind of, you know. So, Sarah died after, after, shortly after Isaac tried, or, you know, went up to sacrifice Isaac. Uh, Abraham went up to sacrifice Isaac. It talks about the death of Sarah. Now, um, after Sarah died, Abraham lived a number of years, and he married another wife, Keturah. Um, and he had several sons by Keturah. Uh, do you remember what he did with these sons specifically? That's right. He, he gave them inheritances, gave them money, and said, go. You know, don't stay here because this land is going to be Isaac's. This land belongs, God has said it belongs to Isaac. And so... Midian was one of Abraham's sons by Keturah, and the reason I think that's important is because, you know, it, it was kind of a, a revelation to me when I realized that these guys, these people lived in a, you know, I've called it a pantheistic society. They've lived in a place where there are many gods. So there's little doubt that Midian would have known about the God of Abraham. He would have known. God would have told him, Right. I'm sorry, Abraham would have told him. Abraham would have told his son Midian about about his God. But Midian, on the other hand, you know, went off and did his own thing. And obviously, you know, I guess wasn't, maybe maybe Abraham didn't try hard enough. I don't know. It wasn't part of God's plan. So Midian became um, a priest of other gods. So as far as he was concerned, the God of Abraham was one of many gods. That's important to me because that way, I don't just cast the guy out as a pagan. But on the other hand, I could uh, I could also believe that he's probably not near as uh, wholeheartedly committed to our God as Abraham was. I don't know. What do you think about that? Think there's anything to that? So, Jethro is kind of like a, not a bad guy, but not the greatest guy. And talks about after. In verse 2, it says, After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, and to his his father-in-law Jethro received her and her two sons. So when was that? Beg your pardon? No? This is Moses. Well, okay, I'm sorry. I neglected to understand what you're talking about.
2: Like chapter 4 or something?
1: It's when, describe the situation. gleam you have the microphone. To see if you can just describe the situation because I think you're right.
0: Uh, when when Yahweh appeared to him uh, wroth because he hadn't circumcised his sons yet. Yep, yep. And so uh, Zipporah flung the, the schmuck at his feet. <laughs> yep. yep, yep, yep.
1: And said, you're a bridegroom of blood to me.
0: Bridegroom yeah, of yeah, blood, yeah. yep.
1: It was this little passage back in, uh, um, I think it was, oh, it's chapter four. Exodus 4, verses 24-26, through 26, where God had met, well, you know, Moses and Zipporah and their two sons were on their way to, to Egypt to uh, free the Israelites, I might add, Moses rather reluctantly. Um, and God approached them and basically says, you know, you need to circumcise your son. Uh, and then he was obviously quite forceful about it. And then obviously, I think obviously, Zipporah wasn't on board with that whole thing. So they they did it, but then they weren't <laughs> real, you know, everything wasn't going great between them, so Moses told Zipporah, his wife, why don't you, why don't you and the kids go back and stay with your dad? <laughs> that's my interpretation of what happened, but I think that's probably what happened. So this is a reunion, right? Moses is now back with uh, a couple million of his closest friends. <laughs> And and so he he comes back and he meets his father-in-law and father-in-law brings his his wife and his two boys who he hasn't seen for, how long would it have been, do you suppose, that he hadn't seen him? Just a guess. I don't know.
2: So all the length of the plagues, right? All the length
1: of the plagues and the travel time. Actually, it's probably not more than a couple years. Right.
2: Probably. Go ahead. um, It's interesting they only mention Gershom, which I like
1: that name, Gershom. They mentioned mention sir.
2: Oh, they do? Yep. Well, three, it says, and her two sons, which the name of one was Gershom. Yeah,
1: and then it goes on and says, and the other, verse four, the other was named Eliezer. Oh, okay. So, oh, gotcha.
2: Yeah, right. It's still like Gershom, stranger in a strange land, which I'm, is what they were. They yes. were a stranger in a strange land.
0: Yep.
1: Yep. So, I think Jethro, or Moses, had a good relationship with his father in law. I mean, you remember when uh, after he saw the burning bush, and he went went back and and told his father in law what he had seen and what he was going to go. Do you what he was thinking of, or what was in front of him? Do you remember what his father in law said? He said, "Yeah." He says, "Go. You you should you should go do this. You know, it's really God."
0: Mark. So is. Uh the interesting thing about Zipporah having a problem with the circumcision is Jethro has to be circumcised because if all of they came from Abraham, this is after the circumcision, Abraham would have circumcised Midian and he would have been doing the same thing to his sons. Yep. So you wonder where the problem was because Jethro's bearing the same sign that Moses and all the rest of them are. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. Well, it wouldn't be the first
1: time there was disagreements among husbands and wives, huh? <laughs> You got to admit that whole circumcision thing is a little strange. Well, I'm I'm thinking it's about time. I realize we're in the middle of the chapter, but there's a lot more to talk about with Jethro here and and his his advice for Moses, and we'll do that next week if that's all right. So, are there any other kind of final remarks or any other thoughts before we close? Okay. I'll, I'll pray. Well, Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for these, uh, these events that we're reading about. Thank you for the fact that we can look at them and we can see them in a different light now than we have in the past, uh, Maybe regardless of how many times we've, we've looked at them, Father God. It's really interesting the way your stories just live. They just teach us everything we need to know about you and everything you, we need to know about how to conduct our lives. And I just thank you so much for your word and ask that you protect us and keep us until we get together uh, on Shabbat. in Hushua's name, amen. amen. Thank you, and thank you, you folks on YouTube.